0: Good afternoon. Our next case is NRAVE, BRW and BGW, and we will hear from the appellant.
1: Thank you, Your Honors. May it please the Court, Chief Justice Newby, Associate Justices, I am J. Thomas Brock of the Buncombe County Bar. I represent the appellant uh, mother, Kimberly Stanley, Since this case comes before this court based on the dissenting opinion of Judge Carpenter, the issues before the court are, one, whether the trial court's conclusions of law are supported by competent evidence, and two, whether the trial court made insufficient findings to support the conclusions that Ms. Stanley was unfit or had acted in a manner inconsistent with constitutionally protected status, and if so whether the best interest standard was therefore inapplicable. Focusing on the second issue, since the majority held, the trial court's findings do not support the conclusion that Ms. Stanley is unfit. The issue of unfitness is not before this court. What is before the, this court on the second issue is whether insufficient findings support the trial court's conclusion that Miss Stanley acted in a manner inconsistent with their constitutionally protected status as a parent, and the connected issue whether the best interest standard was then applicable. With respect to this issue, the rule we are asking this court to adopt arises from the cir- circumstances of this case, which may be somewhat unique. In this case, there was a period of time between September 2015 when Ms. Stanley Stanley left her husband, Matthew Williams, due to his frequent incarcerations and drinking and drug use, and left her children in the care of the father's mother between that time and May of 2018, when HSA became involved after receiving a complaint that Mr. Williams was intoxicated, busting plates, throwing glasses with the girls present in the home he shared with his mother and his daughters. After HSA became involved and filed a juvenile petition in July of 2018, Ms. Stanley and her new husband, Jason Stanley, entered a case plan or entered case plans with HSA for the purpose of pursuing reunification, which the trial court found they completed, and by September 2019, Ms. Stanley and her husband were allowed unsupervised overnight visitation uh, with her daughters Every weekend, we are asking this court to adopt a rule that, in these circumstances, it was error to conclude that Miss Stanley acted in a manner inconsistent with her constitutionally protected status as a parent, based on past history, given the trial court's findings regarding her engagement in and successful completion of her case plan, and the trial court therefore further erred when it applied to best interest standard and awarded guardianship to
2: the grandmother is it your position that the trial court cannot go back in time and look at that uh, period where she was acting as she was acting prior to the progress that she made regarding the children
1: no that's not our position Um, the position is I think the case law says that uh, the parents conduct is to be viewed cumulatively But in this, so that, the past was relevant. And, but given what happened when she engaged with DSS or HSA, excuse me, um, that engagement um, needed to be given greater weight given the fact that this case plan was given to her for the express purpose of pursuing reunification um, and her uh, steady, Um, progress um, gaining unsupervised visitation which was is not to be given unless the trial court finds that the children will be safe uh, in the home and receive proper care Um, and then completing the case plan um, after even enjoying every other or not every other weekend but every weekend unsupervised visitation in her home
2: does this court have the authority to dictate to the trial court how much weight is to be given relative to the chronology of a parent's behavior in terms of the parenthood being shown to the children?
1: I I don't think the court would need to dictate how much weight to to be given because the issue really is, uh, de novo, review, whether the findings of the trial court support the conclusion, in this case, the conclusion that she acted in a manner inconsistent
2: with her constitutional rights. When I heard you say that uh, the trial court should have given greater weight to the mother's uh, behavior relative to her fulfillment of her case plan, uh, how would you have us to go about giving instruction then to trial courts in terms of looking at, such as in this case, pre-case plan behavior by the mother as compared to the case plan behavior that she exhibited as she made progress.
1: I think, I think that um, Justice Morgan, I think that uh, as I review these cases, that this situation is seems to be somewhat unique. In the in the context of cases that have found that a parent has acted in, con, in a manner inconsistent with their constitutional rights by ceding quote unquote ceding uh, parenting responsibility to to the non-parent. So um, in in this case, I I would suggest, um, and I was going to launch into a brief summary of the facts, I don't know that that's necessary, the facts are pretty, pretty clear, but um, that uh, the result, if, if if this court adopts the position of the majority and the position of appellees, <clears throat> the result will be a, a rule that is as, is unfair and inconsistent with the um, the admonition or the or the instruction of the the juvenile code in section 7B100 that the the provisions of the code are to be interpreted in a manner that is uh, that it further's the constitutional rights of parents along with juveniles
0: so we we've, we've got a guardianship here not a termination of parental rights um, should the trial court take into account the young age of the children when uh, the mother left and the ongoing uh, bonding that would naturally occur between young children and in this case a, a grandmother
1: i think that that, that issue really com- that um, comes into play when the court the trial court reaches the best interest standard
0: I I guess what I I understand, I guess what I'm asking is really a follow-up to what Justice Morgan was just asking. Can a trial court give more weight to the behavior of a parent given the young age of the children at the time uh, that they were uh, left?
1: In terms of the issue as to whether a parent has acted in a manner inconsistent yes. with their constitutional rights. I um, I, I don't think that the, the, that issue of, of the bond between the children and the grandmother really comes into play until the court, as in this case the trial court um, made its decision based on the best interest, what the trial court determined was in the best interest of the of the children. I'm not sure if that answered your question.
0: Well, what I'm struggling with is, you know, if the children had been 10, 11, 12 and they were left for three years versus at the young ages, I guess one was four and one was two. Um, in, In terms of the acting inconsistently with parental rights, can the trial court take those young ages, actually give more weight to the fact that this occurred when the children were so young as opposed to a a later time in their history?
1: I think that the trial court can can look at that as an issue. But again, um, I think that really is more a question of that would come up when the court has properly um, move to the best interest standard and I, I mean I know there are there's language in some of these um, acting inconsistent cases that talk about the the effect on the children of of a parent ceding parental responsibility so in, in that sense I guess that it could be a factor in the issue as to whether a parent has acted inconsistently with their constitutionally protected status.
0: Is it the position of your client that while being gone for a significant period of time from 2015 to 2018, um, that might have been sufficient to say acting inconsistently with constitutional rights, that somehow that can be cured? by following the, the plan that DSS proposed?
1: Absolutely. Um, I think that it's, it's, it's reversible. I mean, if the court found under these facts, and these facts are different certainly than the facts in um, Price v. Howard or Bozeman v. Gerald and others that we discussed and distinguished, um, but yes, in, in this context where um, the mother um, is given a case plan for the express purpose of uh, seeking and pursuing reunification and she fully and completely engages in that case plan and in the context of um, the, the permanent plan from the outset, the primary permanent plan from the outset being reunification, um, that she can and did cure any defects that she had or any, any conduct that she had that could have been deemed as inconsistent with her parental rights. Because otherwise, um, parents, just in general, would have no hope for getting their children back.
0: Was well, is isn't there a middle ground, which is what the court appears to have done here, which is to allow visitation so, you know, by complying with the plan, uh, the mother has been able to re-engage, but at the same time uh, not uh, uh, completely severing the relationship that was allowed to build with the grandmother
1: well that could go the other way as well i mean the grandmother could have been given visitation rights but in this case um, she to to for her to fully engage engage in a case plan again designed for reunification that was the whole kind of uh, direction of this case the case was we're going to establish a primary permanent plan of reunification that was announced at the dispositional hearing, here's your case plan, um, respondent mother. If you do these things, you shall be reunified with your, with your, um, with your children. And then she does these things, and it's just all moving in the direction of reunification. Um, and to the point where she's having every weekend overnight visitation in the in. And HSA is recommending a trial home placement, and the only reason the trial judge did not go with that recommendation at that point was his or the judge's concern about the housing, the adequacy of housing, too many adults living in this home.
0: So well, was there the also
1: changed it, I think, was the children expressed their desire to live with their grandmother, continue to live with their grandmother and they were having some adjustment issues um, after the visitation. So so changing the plan and ultimately awarding guardianship required the, the court to make this conclusion that she had acted in a manner inconsistent with her constitutional rights. But the only problem with with that conclusion is that it's inconsistent with all of these findings that the trial court made that she had um, she was engaging in and ultimately completed this case plan and she was even given you know this this very um, ample overnight every weekend visitation
0: well am i correct that she continues to have overnight visitation uh, and other visitation under the guardianship plan?
1: She had, yeah. It was moved to every other weekend.
0: So is it your position then that the trial court uh, improperly consider the impact on the children with regard to the issues they were having at school and uh, uh, other issues being unsettled uh, with regard to uh, uh, where they would end up living, that this was uh, unsettling to them and uh, that, I mean, what's the trial court to do with that information?
1: Well, the trial court certainly can consider it, but as far as making a guardianship award to the grandmother, trial court can't, I mean really that's all part and parcel in my view of this as to what is in the best interest of the children and so that the trial court is you know, not permitted to go there to that best interest determination without making this conclusion that the, the mother was either unfit or had acted in a manner incon- inconsistent with her, her constitutional rights.
0: Under what so, circumstances can a trial court revisit the guardianship order?
1: Under what circumstances um, that the that the um, the guardian is, is either unable or unwilling, or that it is not in the best interests of the children? I think is the standard. So um, a lot of findings really completely inconsistent with the conclusion that mother acted in a manner inconsistent with her rights. In her case plans, um, she and her husband in July of 2018, um, at a hearing in August of 2019, the court said the primary plan is going to be reunification secondary plan of guardianship Um, everything is going well with visitation the trial court gave hsa the discretion to increase the visits and allow for unsupervised visitation may of 2019 hsa describes the specifics of respondent mother complying with her case plan Uh, by may they are she and her husband are enjoying unsupervised visitation Um, The guardian had lied and wanted a domestic violence assessment. The the assessor, the PhD, said no indication of either domestic violence or anger issues. Um, And so the only reason the trial court gave for not sanctioning a trial home placement in in, uh, September of 2019 was the housing situation. Um, The children expressed, after that, expressed a desire to stay with their grandmother, there were some adjustment issues. And based on that, um, HSA kind of did a complete turnabout and, uh, and, and suggested or requested that the guardianship um, with grandma. And, um, but before the hearing, the parents had remedied the housing problem. So why should this court not adopt the holding of the Court of Appeal? Majority in the position of appellees, and I may have touched on this already, but um, If if the holding of the majority in the position Of the appellees on this issue is adopted by this court a rule will resolve which will be fundamentally unfair Contrary to one of the stated purposes of the juvenile code um, Not wanting to repeat myself um, The the problem that arose for HSA and for the trial court uh, with respect to the issue of granting guardianship to the grandmother, um, that the trial court had to make this determination that that the mother had acted in a manner inconsistent with her constitutional rights in order to get to best interest and make that determination that in the trial court's judgment, it would be better for the children if they stayed with their grandmother. So that determination, though, was completely inconsistent with these findings of the court that required uh, that, that Miss Stanley had complied with the requirements of her case plan and was getting unsupervised visitation.
2: Counsel, I hear the plausibility in your position, but how do we as an appellate court give direction to the trial courts in terms of looking at the whole view of a parent such as the mother here wherein as I was listening very carefully to when you started your recitation of what the mother had done Understandably, you start with, in terms of assessing the findings of fact, when she became more in keeping with her constitutionally protected right regarding being a parent in the pursuit of her case plan, but yet a trial court would be deemed appropriate in terms of the discretion that we give a trial court as a court in terms of looking at the entire view of a client such as, your mo- such as the mother is for you, uh, how would we go about letting trial courts know how much weight to give to the recency of the pursuit of a case plan versus what that parent may have been doing, which is inconsistent with the constitutionally protected uh, parenthood in terms of coming up with what this trial court came up with, especially in terms of what you say, admittedly, that she did not finish the full case plan because there was a component of housing which the trial court would be able to assess the importance of that in terms of the case plan. How would we go about letting trial courts know to the extent to which they should consider all of that in terms of coming up with its outcome?
1: Well, I think that the I think it's the, the rule is correct that the parent's conduct with respect to this issue is to be viewed cumulatively. But what the trial court did in this case, and what the majority affirmed, was that because of what happened before, or you know, her past history, um, she was forever going to be. Um, Found or concluded to have acted in a manner inconsistent, and so this case, in the in the context of this case, viewing the the mother's conduct before and after she entered into this case plan, and the trial court did um, state that she had completed it. She the one the one issue was housing, and that was completed, and the, the court uh, found that she had completed the, her case plan more than once. Um, and it's been,
2: well, is, there so, any, is there any bright-line rule that you can articulate or come close to articulating, or is there any way to quantify what we tell trial courts in terms of how they should look at this in a cumulative fashion, as you uh, admit?
1: Well, I, I don't think it's a bright-line rule. I think it's, it's you know, kind of um, suggesting that the court make its decision based on the specific facts of this case kind of unlike the prior case that 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 you just heard that in this case so there was prior there was prior history where she had ceded some parental responsibility to the grandmother. that doesn't mean that forever and always she has she's deemed to have to have acted in a manner inconsistent with her constitutional rights because She was given this case plan and all of the policies that support um, the the trial court's need um, and and departments of social services requirements to work with parents to help them, if they can, achieve reunification. So in this case, um, that latter history demonstrating absolute, complete, I think the trial court found, um, completion of the case plan has, has got, to, got to trump, if you will, the prior history. So um, I don't know that it's a broad rule or how much direction to trial courts needs to be given in, you know, because how, how often does this come up like this? I mean, I haven't seen it in, in the cases that I've looked at, so I think that The direction is um, the trial court has got to view everything, you know, past current uh, conduct by the parent cumulatively, but the the a rule that says it doesn't matter what she did when she completed the case plan given to her by the HSA and the trial court, that doesn't matter because it's it's too bad. Maybe, you know, they should have told her in the beginning, it doesn't really matter what you do because uh, you, you acted in a manner inconsistent with your constitutional rights back in the day. So maybe that's a little trite. But I think that, I think, it, I think this case is, is kind of limited to its facts. And for other cases that would be similar, this where you have you know you have a period of of, um, of not being actively involved as a parent followed by a period of being very actively involved in a case plan and completing it and um, trial courts even finding that she, she you know it's safe and appropriate for these children to be in the home every weekend um, that all of that um, has to be taken into account in a way that is consistent with the policies and purposes of the um, juvenile code—one, one, one of which is to protect the constitutional rights of of the parents—and I see that using up all my rebuttal time except for three minutes. So I intended to say, I wanted to reserve ten.
0: Thank you, Council.
1: Thank you.
3: we'll hear from the appellee. Thank you. <clears throat> Honorable Chief Justices and Associate Justices. I'm James Freeman of the Surrey County Bar here today representing Apple Yadkin County Human Services Agency in this appeal. I'll be sharing my time with the other appellate, uh, the guardian ad litem, represented by Mr. Paul Freeman. No relation. Um, but uh, so with that I'll proceed to Present to you, I believe, the Court of Appeals majority opinion should be upheld. Um, first thing, just to address as far as the juvenile code and the purposes, and I don't disagree with appellant's counsel as to one of the purposes being um, uh, in that to protect parents' constitutional rights and the intactness of a family. But the I would argue to the court the overriding purpose is to serve the best interest of the child. And one of the ways in doing that is to achieve permanence within 12 months. And um, to address Justice Morgan's questions with regards to giving weight and to what happens when um, conduct in the past be considered, I, I would contend to the court that in this case and in every case where a child is adjudicated, abused, neglected, or dependent, Uh, by nature the parents in that situation have in some way either been unfit or acted in contravention of their constitutionally protected right status as parents Um, thereafter our juvenile code does set up a a construct a time frame where it works with the family after that adjudication of course there is the opportunity at disposition under 7b 903 for custody to be awarded to a relative um, in that instance. But more often than not, we do find the situation that happened in this case, which is where a plan at disposition is entered of reunification. And in many instances, the the custody is placed with the Human Services Agency or Department of Social Services to work with the parent uh, to see if The issues that brought the child into department or agency custody can be remedied so the child can be returned to the home Um, I would contend to the court that in the construct of the juvenile code in working that case plan there is no erasure of past conduct there is no um, there is no fine line where the actions of the parent in the past, which brought the child into custody, still do not remain acting in contravention of your constitutionally protected right or that you were unfit. Um, what what I do just, believe-
4: Just so I'll understand yes. your argument, Mr. Freeman, are you saying in effect that once there has been a determination of abuse, neglect, uh, that then one is tantamount to a finding of no longer no longer have a constitutional right to parent, and secondly that once that determination has been made, the only relevant issue after that is what's in the best interest of the child.
3: Just a serve and I, I apologize. I wasn't making that okay leap. What I what I'm saying. I, I for, wasn't
4: sure, and that's why I understand.
3: I understand. What I'm saying is this. I think it's on a continuum, okay? And I think where Chief Justice Newby's questions about the child comes into play is because, I think in the whole construct, the best interest of the child comes into play because because of the prior issues that brought the child into custody. In addition to the parent working on the case plan, there has to be a working together of the parent and the child through the process. And what I mean by that is what we saw in this case. Um, The extended period that the mother was absent, uh, mostly absent in the children's lives, except for birthday visits and occasional visits, never an overnight in three years, three years prior to them coming to custody, though she had every right to do so. No no barrier blocking that. Because of that time period, it's obvious plus the fact that the children had been born in the home of the paternal grandmother, and even when the mother lived there, basically had been raised by her their entire lives, that there was a separation, a vast separation, because of the mother's actions prior to coming into custody, I would say a chasm between the um, the child and the parental rights, so that when eventually, well after the 12-month permanency goal of the Juvenile Code, the mother finally got to the point of having some unsupervised visitation, the child's reactions were very, um, I would say, detrimental to the children. They, as noted in the record and in the Court of Appeals, factual set out the reactions at school, the school counselor, these reactions occurred because of and the cumulative effect of the mother's actions, not only during the time the child was in custody, but prior to the ch- time the ch- children were in custody, that essentially, they were, these young children were faced with going to spend time with you know, somebody they certainly knew who had visited them, but they, were not, they had not spent the night. They, um, the youngest child, I'm sure, had no memory of ever spending the night in the same household as her mother. So these impacts on the children occurred because of the long period of time which had resulted from that uh, pre-petition activity. And so, Justice sermon, I'm certainly not saying, especially in that avenue of, of unfitness, and I'm certainly not saying that it's tagged somewhere along the way that you're tagged with this for the rest of your life, but I think it is a consideration to, to be given. And um, as this court said in Spiegel, um, when looking at the, at the issue of unfitness or acting in contravention, we're not just looking at the time of trial. Now that was a, I know that was a custody trial, but the same logic applies here. We're not looking at the time of trial. Yes, Immediately before the permanency planning hearing, January 30th, 2020, after the girls had been in department custody for 19 months, the mother got suitable housing. Okay. Um, but prior to that, the entire 19 months, the issue that um, Alexander County Department of Social Services initially found her home, they would not approve her home study disposition at the initial dispositional phase it's not only because of the actions of the father that these children were initially uh, found neglected by the court it's because the mother had removed herself from the situation and did not have appropriate housing and could not provide an appropriate home for the children so but, but as a opposed- whole oh i'm
2: sorry uh, please
5: I'm, I'm just wondering what this mother would have had to do to keep her constitutional right to parent in light of the findings of the court that she um, had had unsupervised visitation, including overnights on Friday through Monday for some period of time unspecified, um, and that she had participated with and completed her plan. She was making adequate progress within a reasonable period of time, and that recently had suitable housing. In light of that, the court then concludes that reunification would clearly be unsuccessful and would be inconsistent with their health or safety. What? How do you get there from those findings?
3: Right. With, uh, Justice Hudson, I would say the court also made the um, you know the extensive findings with regards to the time frames the that we've talked about the earlier time no that is correct but also the time frames that the children had been in department custody for 19 months and that's 19 months where the mother um, if you look at the progress on her case plan look in the record she um, she did she began addressing as far as uh, punching i will call them list items you punch she got the assessments she, did, she went to parenting classes. But from the beginning, the question was, why don't you get suitable housing? I think the agency looked to her at the beginning and said, if you have a suitable house, we'll look at placing the children with you at disposition. She did That issue was discussed repeatedly with her. As the guardian ad litem noted in the record and was quoted by the Court of Appeals, she talked about how she wanted to keep the girls in the same school system in Yadkin County, but she never would look for housing anywhere close to that that she was going to that she would uh, bring the kids back to the school but she I mean things consistently over and over again where essentially the agency pleaded with her why can't you she, she was you know she was working just get a, a suitable housing situation for these girls and she She never did it. it and it was never an instance that at least she that was reported in the record there was any one or more reasons there. It was just they had moved in with her husband's family, uh, which the court the trial court found, which I think rightly so that four adults in that small uh, home was was too many and until essentially well, just let, let me ask you this I guess. yes
5: uh, what I'm looking for is um, in light of the finding that um, she has stable housing she didn't have it for a long time but she has it now didn't right. have a stable home that was large enough until recently right. but the, there's a finding that she has that now um, in light of that what what finding is there to support that um, re would be inconsistent with their health or safety on the part of the mother at the time okay. of this hearing, well, what I'm looking to see.
3: Justice Husson, I would, I would contend that along the line of questioning that Chief Justice Newby was asking opposing counsel, at this instance, because the tincture of time has been so long, we saw, once the visitation was increased, we saw the negative effects on the children, directly impacting their health and safety because of the mother's inactions. And when i say inactions securing stable housing for all this extended period of time and coupled with of course her pre-petition actions where she uh, i think it's uncontroverted ceded all parental rights responsibilities and controls to the paternal grandmother and so those combined together um, at that point justice hudson i would argue i would argue and the Findings of fact regarding the negative impacts on the children of the visitation clearly show that it was in, in contravention of their health, safety, and welfare at that
5: point. I guess I'm back to my original question, which is that what is a parent in this position to do going forward to sort of reestablish that that they're ready and willing and able to look after their children? Well. If, if it's always going to be, well, look at what you did a couple of years ago.
3: Well. Justice Hudson, what I would say is this I think it's the competing interest here of the juvenile code. And I think the um, would be, I guess, on the one hand, for the rights of the parents, which I understand. I would argue to the court the overriding interest, though, is to find a safe, stable, permanent home for a juvenile within a reasonable period of time. I would contend that the legislature has set out in the framework of the code that one year is a goal to permanence. In this instance, we were at 19 months, which I believe the court, the agency, and everyone had worked to try to give this mother an extra chance. And it was obvious at this point in 19 months that it was not close to being at a point where these children should go back in and they needed permanence and so i i would say the overriding concern at that point for the juvenile co- not only the juvenile code but the court is to address safe stable and a permanent home for the juvenile in a reasonable period of time and i think that time had already passed and so i think that's what we have here it's well, not just if, if
5: the conclusion sorry. is that that the parent the mother was acting in a manner inconsistent with her constitutional right to parent Currently, what is it of the findings that leads to that conclusion? I mean, I understand what you're saying about yes. the, the yes. paramount interest being to find something permanent for the children, but there's also the the parental right. Um, constitutional right, and there is supposed to be a finding that she's doing something inconsistent with that.
3: Well, I, I think that the finding actually is that she's acted for, if I'm if I'm not correct, or uh, and
5: and acted
3: in yes and, and Justice Hudson the way I take that terminology is the way I interpret what this court has said in the past that acted as a cumulative mm-hmm. review not just an immediate review right at the point of trial which I believe is what this court said in Spiegel and um, so cumulatively looking at her conduct over the past what at that point would have been almost five years, um, that the trial court rightly held that she had acted inconsistently with her constitutionally protected right to
2: parent. Following up on that, um, isn't it arguable that as opposed to looking at the quantifiable progress that the mother was making towards the fulfillment of her case plan, that the trial court look prematurely at the best interests of the children in terms of what you have said in response to Justice Hudson's questions concerning the fact that the children were acting in an anxious manner at the prospect of going into the mother's home, wouldn't that have been more of a best interest determination which was prematurely reached as the case plan fulfillment was being assessed which was uh, promising in terms of for fulfillment of it all but at the time the housing justice morgan i, I would respectfully
3: contend that 19 months in it was not premature to assess the situation i i think as is stated earlier that the the quantifiable detrimental effects on the children certainly come into play not only in best interest i totally agree with you on that but it also comes into play on their health, safety, and welfare.
2: And when I was saying prematurely, I wasn't saying prematurely chronologically. I understand understand in 19 months. right? But prematurely from the standpoint of looking at the factual aspects concerning her constitutionally protected right as a parent as opposed to entering the best interest phase because, of course, best interest is not determined until there are other things factually determined
3: i understand uh I, I would contend it was not pre- i mean i i guess just morgan in a way i mean I, I see what you're saying but i would contend that those facts the the detrimental effects on the children are um proper considerations for the fine for conclusion of law number two which the dissent also complained of, which is that it was detrimental to the children's health, safety, and welfare that reunification efforts continue. I, I would continue, Your Honor, that those are proper considerations there. Um, I, I, I don't believe in considering it properly for that. I don't think uh, the court jump, uh, jumped you know, to best interest. I think they were properly considered under that conclusion of law number two. Uh, and I would argue then that after finding that, the court then did the analysis, which I argued just a minute ago in response to Justice Hudson's question. They cumulatively reviewed her conduct as this court directed under Spiegel and found she'd acted inconsistently with her constitutionally protected right. And I thank you for, I've overstepped my argument. I apologize to Mr. Freeman. Just thank you for your time and urge you to uphold the Court of Appeals majority opinion. Thank you.
4: If it please the court, Mr. Chief Justice, Associate Justices, I'm Paul Freeman from Wilkes County. I'm the attorney advocate that tried this case. I'm also the attorney advocate on the appeal. Uh, there have been a lot of interesting questions asked most of which I think I have an answer for, but I'm afraid I'll use up too much of my time. So let me briefly say that the dissent below question one conclusion of law, which was conclusion number two, basically it said that it was contrary to the health, safety, welfare of these two girls to go back to a parent and that the conditions that caused the children to be removed continued to exist. Um, Briefly, I think that there are findings of fact in the order that uh, would indicate that that conclusion is supported, as well as conclusions three and four that the appellate also uh, contended uh, in his brief were not supported. Those findings uh, by number uh, are one that the uh, children were adjudicated neglected, uh, and that is very important, uh, and that they had been in custody of HSA since June the 14th of 2018. Finding the fact 13 that the grandmother had had these children in her home since uh, HSA had had custody and they had resided with her since birth, and that same finding the fact also found that the mother essentially abandoned the children in September of 2015. Uh, Finding, a fact, 14, that after the mother left and abandoned the children, she visited them on holidays, birthdays, but did not have them overnight. Finding, 15, that the older child uh, was in counseling and was very vocal about wanting to live with her grandmother, she had adjustment issues that arose after Weekend visit started with the mother, finding a fact 16 that the younger child also was in counseling, also wanted to live with the grandmother, also had adjustment issues. Finding 23 that the children's strongest bond was with the grandmother, uh, and finding a fact 33, which in essence incorporated the summaries of DSS or HSA and the guardian ad litem. All of those findings in my view support the conclusion. Now, one of the questions that seems to be permeating this case is if a parent is found to have acted in contravention of their constitutionally protected status, uh, is that a forever sort of thing? Can it be, can that protection be recovered? Uh, What happens in the future about that? There isn't a case that answers that question, but my observation about it would be this. In the context of these juvenile cases, juvenile welfare cases, the whole code, at least in this regard, from adjudication up through whatever the final permanent plan is, stopping short of termination, Once you get past the adjudication, every stage, statutorily, says that the court must make a decision based upon the best interest of the children. Now, nowhere in the code do you find anything about the Constitution. Nowhere in the code do you find anything about uh, acting in contravention of rights and this sort of thing. This is a, a requirement, if you will, that's engrafted on the code somehow by case law. Okay, well, that's fine. Nobody says that the right doesn't exist. But much as Justice Earls was talking about, I think maybe in the earlier case, Price v. Howard says quite plainly that neglect or abandonment are acts in contravention of a parent's constitutionally protected status. Okay, well, in this case, these children were found neglected and their mother had abandoned them. So whether in that adjudication order there's a finding that she acted in contravention of her constitutional rights, there is a finding by clear and convincing evidence that these children were neglected and there's also a finding the mother had essentially abandoned them for three years. Now, can you take a case plan and work it uh, arduously and skillfully and meaningfully and somehow change that? No, you can't and maybe in some other context you can, but once you're found to have acted in contravention of your constitutionally protected status, then that answers that question for that proceeding. There's absolutely no requirement anywhere in the juvenile code, nor should there be, that at every step after the adjudication, there has to be a finding that somehow the parent is continuing to act in contravention of this protected status. And the Spiegel case even talks about the fact that when you're looking at the question of of contravention, you should consider the past even if at present those acts are not going on. And so that kind of brings me around to the question that Justice Hudson was asking. What is a parent to do? Well, in this case... I have an answer for that. Um, Look, if if you read the transcript and you you look at the findings, what you see is over a period of roughly 19 months or so, these kids were starting to get to know their mother again. The youngest one was 22 months old when she abandoned them. The oldest one was four years and four months old when she abandoned her. And so they were getting to know her and she was getting to know them. And that went pretty well. And the mom was working on her case plan and that was all great. But then if you look at the timeline, what you see is not only when the children's time with the mother was expanded and made unsupervised, but more particularly when it became known that there was a recommendation from DSS or HSA, not from the guardian ad litem. We were recommending guardianship long before the last hearing, but uh, it became known that HSA was saying, well, we think that we ought to stick the girls in a trial placement with mom." When that became known, that's when the girls' behavior started to deteriorate. If you read the record, you'll see that they were having unsupervised contact with mom for a while before, and there were no problems, apparently. But when the decision was made that they were going to have to go stay with mom, even on a trial basis, that's when their behavior started to deteriorate. Why is that? I would suggest that the reason for that was because no matter what the mother had done on her case plan to even complete the case plan, the one thing that completion didn't do was to restore the trust that these children ought to have with their parent. Uh, what could she I'm sorry do? Sorry to, to
5: interrupt you, but are there findings to that effect?
4: There findings to, to the effect of the children's negative behaviors
5: right but the connection that you were drawing between that and their expanded visitation no ma'am mother? there is
4: not a specific finding that says because of the mother's abandonment of the children this is why they're having problems
5: or no no no, no what you were saying earlier that um that when she started seeing them with unsupervised overnight visitation a long, over a longer period of time mm-hmm. that their behavior got worse and then you said that when there was a plan to look at maybe placing right. them with her Right. That right. their behavior got worse. I was just wondering if there was a finding. There is not a specific
4: finding, but if you look at a few findings, you sort of piece that timeline together, if you see Well, that.
5: Some, a lot of the findings don't have a time frame. True. So it's a little hard to do that. I agree.
4: I agree. <laughs> but in answer, you're getting back to what should a mom do, which I do right. a dad or whoever. Uh, I think in a situation like this, if the problem in essence is the kids don't want to live with a parent, you try to find out why, and then perhaps some sort of uh, family therapy, some other kind of uh, program, some other kind of service. My point is, is that completing a case plan, even if at one point the recommendation was for reunification, that's not the end of the process. Uh, It's true that case plans are developed primarily to see if you can't deal with some issues and get a family back together. Well, in this case, the family wasn't together when the case plan was drawn up, but I've never read a case, and most of them come out in the TPR context, that says if you complete a case plan, it means X. If you don't complete it, it means Y. What they do say is it's a factor to consider and in this case, it's a factor to consider. But it doesn't change the fact that these girls were having these problems and were very upset about the idea of going back to their mom. That had to be addressed and if the permanent plan had to be done when it was done, they clearly could not go back and live with their mom because it would have been detrimental to their mental health. There's no other conclusion to draw about that. So it seems like to me that that was a proper uh, result uh, given the impact that the mother's prior behavior uh, as well as the circumstances that flowed after that had on these children. So from my standpoint, it's Pretty simple. I mean, yeah, you look at the impact on the kids. You absolutely do.
0: Thank you, uh, you so much, Council.
4: Yes, thank you.
0: Rebuttal. A
1: couple of comments, um, Mr. James Freeman. Um, was stating we emphasized the 19 months um, and and stated that it wasn't even close um, whether respondent mother was going to be a candidate for achieving reunification in 19 months Um, i would suggest that the the chronology um, started with the case plan started in july i believe of 2018 and by September of 2019 HSA was recommending a trial home placement and the only reason the trial home placement wasn't um, that recommendation wasn't adopted was because um, of the housing issue which was ultimately uh, rectified so um, I, I would say it was very close um, basically with close to, within a year, pretty close to a year, That respondent mother, she went through her case plan along with her husband quickly. um, And one thing after another, very unlike a lot of these cases where they just, they drag out, and there might be substance abuse, relapse, some incident of domestic violence or something like that. Not in this case. This case was moving very quickly because of the compliance of Respondent mother and her husband. The um, Mr. Paul Freeman was talking about once a there's a finding of fact that a parent has acted in a in a, in a manner inconsistent. Um, you can't change that. It's kind of going to be there as part of the the record or the history, but. We, in this case, um, are challenging the conclusion that respondent mother acted in a manner inconsistent with her constitutional rights. So there is no, there there has been no finding other than the one that was made in this particular order. Um, and the other point that I wanted to make is that um, Mr. Paul Freeman said that nowhere in the in the code do you see any reference to constitutional rights. Well, um, 7B 100 certainly says that the provisions of the the code, juvenile code, are supposed to be construed in a manner that is is going to promote the constitutional rights of parents as well as the juvenile. So yes, the best interest of the child or, or the children is throughout the code and it's been defined as the polar star but that don't want to confuse the issue of of that policy and purpose of the juvenile code with the settled rule that in the context of whether to award a non-parent custody you have to you can't get to best interest without making this conclusion. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Council. Thank you to both. Everyone.
1: Clerk.